You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Last week heard a a great message from Stephen with just a clear vision of where we're going as a church family. And so we're going to continue mixing it up. You won't see me every week. Uh, We'll continue mixing it up uh, throughout this next study in Galatians. And before we get into Galatians, uh, I did want to just say a little bit more, give a little bit more information on on Wednesday nights at at 6.30. Remember that starts this week, Wednesday night, 6.30. It'll start our new apologetic service. Um, And and that's going to be a time of teaching and fellowship, uh, not just for the adults, not just for the kids, but really for the entire family. Um, and so the kids, they're going to be walking through an Answers in Genesis curriculum uh, that, that takes you through the Bible in four years, but it also has a strong apologetics focus um, throughout. And so our, our, our kids are learning uh, Scripture, but they're not only learning Scripture, but how to defend uh, Scripture. Along with that, Stephen uh, is going to be uh, standing by on Wednesday nights uh, to teach any older students that we might have, 7th grade and up. Um, and so that we can begin to hopefully grow that, that upper student ministry. Uh, so invite any students that you might know in that age category. Uh, it only takes one to start, right? We, we just have to have one to, to get going there. So um, looking forward to that. And then lastly, the adults will meet uh, in this room with a focus on apologetics teaching and, and defending our faith. Now, the first week every month, uh, Drew and Carrie are going to be leading us in a time really focused on prayer and missions. So prayer and missions for the first week every month. So that'll be this week. This week the adults will be in here, will be focused heavily on, on missions and just on saturating this thing in prayer, saturating our church in prayer, saturating each other in prayer. So that'll be the first week of every month and then uh, the, the remaining weeks will, will be that time that's focused on apologetic uh, teaching, uh, not only how to defend our faith, you know, that, that's important, but, but even more important is, is what do, how we take this and, and get out there. How do we take this and, and go out there and have conversations and, and get the gospel to other people? Amen? Amen. So I, I'll ask you to uh, be praying with us on, on this new service. It's an exciting week for our church family. Uh, in a moment when we, when we pray, I'll ask you to, to pray for this new service, that God would just equip us and that he would be glorified above all. Um, so with that, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. Who's excited about a new study? Oh, yeah. yeah, here we go. Here we go. There's some energy in the room now. Galatians. So we're just barely going to open up this morning. Uh, we're going to read the first five verses. So I'm going to ask you to turn there. And when you get there, uh, stand with me, if you will. All right, Galatians 1. And it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins 
that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the sweet fellowship, the sweet worship uh, with this church family. And I just give you praise uh, for the opportunity to, to preach this morning, God. And I just ask you, Lord, that as we open up this new study, that, that your word uh, would be made known and made clear, Lord, um, that you would speak through me and, and use this time to speak to your people. Lord, open our hearts to what you'd have us here this morning. And, and God, as we, uh, as we start this new service Wednesday night, we just ask you, uh, Lord, to, to bless this time. Lord, we ask that you would multiply this time, Lord. We want this to be about you, Father. We want to give glory, all glory and honor and praise to you, Father, during this new service. Lord, we want, uh, we want to be equipped, Father, so equip us. Lord, equip us with the information we need, Lord, with the um, encouragement we need to go out of this place and proclaim the gospel of Christ, the gospel of freedom, Lord, uh, to this dying world, Lord. So, God, we pray that you would bless that time, Lord. Bless those who would teach, Lord. Give them words, Lord. Give them the message, Father. And, um, Lord, I bless those little children that will come. Lord, bless those, those, those high schoolers that will come, Father. Lord, you know who's going to come. Lord, you already know their faces and their names, Lord. And God, we look forward to seeing you grow this thing, Lord. We look forward to just you being glorified, not only uh, on Sunday nights and our, our Sunday mornings in our services, Lord, but on Wednesday nights as well, uh, just as much, Father. And uh, God, you just be there. Meet with us, Father. Meet with us this morning as we open up Galatians. Lord, again, give me the words and speak to your people. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay, well, this morning, as we open up Galatians, I, I've titled our time together, A Fiery Introduction. A Fiery int Introduction, and I think you'll get the flavor of that as we go on today. Uh, Galatians is a, a pretty small letter, only uh, six chapters, only six chapters, but, but in this letter are written some of the most fiery, explosive words in all of Scripture. And if you're familiar with Galatians, you, you're familiar with that. Um, as we'll see, and, and continue, as we continue on today, uh, Paul is writing this letter to, to vigorously lay out and defend the gospel of Christ that he has preached to the nations. And not only is he defending this gospel, uh, but he's also reminding these believers and us today, uh, even in, in 2022, he's reminding us of the freedom that we have because of this gospel of Jesus. Hence the title of our study, uh, Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. And that's going to become more and more apparent as we continue on today and, and, and through the weeks. But Galatians has been called uh, the Magna Carta of, of Christian freedom. The Magna Carta of Christian freedom, and, and, and it's also, it was really the battle cry of the Protestant Reformation. This book, the Galatians, really, really sparked the Protestant Reformation. 
its focus is to uphold the pure gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in who? Christ alone. There it is. We say that a lot here, right? Uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the focus of this book. And to remove any extra chains that we might try to lay upon ourselves, that someone else might try to lay upon us. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and so as we open up, I've got three points for us to work through this morning. First of all, the author and audience. And secondly, the attack and adversary. And, and thirdly, the aim and attitude. So let's start with some background information as we look at the author and the audience. And as we open up this letter, it's, it's a good reminder that the Bible is not a book that was written by one man, by some private revelation uh, that was just planted in its entirety into the first century. Here you go, here's the Bible. That's not how this worked, right? That's not how the Bible was written. The New Testament is a collection of letters and, and gospel writings written over the period of, of, of several decades in the first century in different places by different authors, all God-breathed, but written to real churches in a, in a real place and time, real people in, in real places throughout the first century landscape. And, and as we read the very first word of, of Galatians, we're informed that it is the Apostle Paul who is writing this particular letter. And, and really, that's not seriously disputed by anyone, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time defending that this morning. But verse 2 tells us that he's writing to the believers in the churches, plural, churches, of Galatia. And so the first thing we want to do to try to get uh, some context for this book is to see what else the Bible tells us about the Galatian region and the, these churches that, that are planted here. And we do find other information about these churches in Acts chapter 13. So if you want to, it may be helpful for you to, 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 to flip over to Acts chapter 13 as we kind of go through this for a moment. But Acts 13 and 14 really tell us uh, about the churches that Paul's writing to here. Now, before we go any further, I will just say, and you may want to make a note of this, you may not. Um, I'll just say in passing that there is some debate about whether Paul is writing to these churches in Acts 13 and 14 in the region of South Galatia, or um, whether he's writing to the churches in the northern uh, region of Galatia, who were ethnically called Galatians. So there's some debate on that. If you study this deeper on your own, you'll see that controversy. Though it doesn't change the message of the book, it doesn't change the meaning of the book in any way. But suffice it to Suffice it to say that after studying this fairly extensively in preparation for the study, I would agree with most conservative scholars that Paul is writing to the churches spoken of in Acts chapter 13 and 14. The churches in the region of, of southern Galatia, a region of the Roman Empire at the time. And, and those cities where the churches are planted are, are the cities of Antioch, of Pisidia, of Iconium, of Lystra, and of Derby, So we see churches planted there, as we'll see in just a moment. And it was Paul and Barnabas 
who first preached the gospel in this region and planted these churches on their first missionary journey. And so we learn in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, that, that while Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, which was Paul's starting point for all of his journeys, God called Paul and Barnabas to this first journey, which is focused on this region of Galatia, the Galatian region. And their first stop in this region was a different Antioch. It was Antioch of Pisidia, a different Antioch than the one that they launched from. And that started in verse 14 of Acts chapter 13. And we see there, and you can read this if you want to, a powerful sermon by Paul in the synagogue of Antioch. And that the whole city came out to hear uh, Paul preach the next week. And Paul and Barnabas saw a powerful response to the gospel from both Jews and Gentiles in the city. But also, they were driven out of the city by other Jews. They were driven out by Jews who wanted to kill them. Jews who had not yet received Christ, trying to persecute Him for His message. Remember, Paul, or, or Saul, as he's also known, uh, was also once one of these persecuting Jews who, who, who were trying to kill Christians because of the message of Jesus that we were, they were preaching. Now Paul is being chased down by these same Jews. So after that, after they were thrown out of that first city, rather than going home in fear, how many of us would have went home in fear? I mean, you're, you're thrown out of the city. People are literally trying to kill you, chasing you with stones, perhaps. How many of us would have just packed it up and said, okay, God, <laughs> I misread your signs there, God. You weren't actually calling me to this region, surely, right? I mean, how easy is it for us to just pack it up sometimes? We come across a little bit of, of resistance and, and, and all of a sudden, Lord, maybe I've read you wrong, right? Anybody like that? Anybody, anybody relating to this? Anyone? Okay. How easy is it for us sometimes to just quit? To pack it in when it comes to spreading the gospel. But not Paul and Barnabas. They, they just continued on to the next city in the region. And that was Iconium. And the Lord worked miracles through them there. And again, brought a powerful response to the gospel. It says about half the city came to Christ, in fact. That's pretty good, right? Half the city came to Christ. However, the other half, guess what they did? They chased them. They tried to kill them, yes. They tried to stone uh, Paul and Barnabas. And so what did they do? They packed it up here, surely. And next city. They just went to the next city. So they fled to Lystra and then to Derbe. So in Lystra, again, Paul and Barnabas preached. And there, the people tried to actually worship them. And they worshiped them as Greek gods. They thought they were like Zeus. And they tried to worship them as Greek gods. Of course, Paul corrected them and pointed them to Christ alone because that's what Paul does, right? He pointed them to Christ alone. And then in chapter 14, it says that Jews from Antioch and from Iconium, those previous cities, chased down Paul and Barnabas to Lystra, and they did stone him this time. They got a hold of Paul this time, and it says they left him for dead. They thought he was dead. Can you imagine that? Boy, stoned 
to the point where the people stoning you, they're done because this man's dead. These are the kind of things these people were facing for the gospel, understand? This isn't 2022 America. They chased them down from city to city and stoned them. Left Paul for dead. And so it says Paul gathered his senses and he got up and he went home, right? No, he didn't go home. It says Paul got up and he, he gathered his senses and he went back into the city. And he continued to preach Christ in the city of Lystra. Boy, that's craziness. It's absolute insanity. What boldness for the gospel. Amen? Somebody get excited. What boldness for the gospel. And what shame that pours on my head. Boy, I'm not that bold. I'm not that bold for the gospel. Lord, forgive us for not being more like these men. Who said, this is the most important thing in my life. This is the most important thing in this world. And I will fight for it. And I will die for it. And if they try to kill me and don't succeed, I will get up, brush off the dirt, and go right back in the city and preach it again. And that's Paul. That's the Paul who's writing Galatians here. And Lord, we pray that that would be us. Amen? We pray that that would be us. So the very next day, it says that Paul and Barnabas went to the next city, Derby, to preach to that city. And then Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, it says that when they had preached there in Derby and had made many disciples, it says Paul and Barnabas then traveled back through Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. It says they exhorted them to continue in the faith. It says that they appointed elders in all of the churches. And it says that they prayed and they fasted with these men and women in these churches. After that, Paul and Barnabas went to a few more places before arriving back at Antioch, their original starting point, their home church. Now, this was really the most booming church probably in the first century at the time, Antioch. Antioch is where the, the, the Christians were first called Christians, if you remember. Acts tells us that. And so they go back to this home church. And it was likely from Antioch around 49 A.D., right between Acts 14 and 15, that Paul wrote this letter. To the Galatian churches. It's the first letter written by Paul. And one of the first letters written uh, in our New Testament. And he wrote it after receiving some really disturbing news. And, and that brings us to our next point. The, the attack and adversary. And we have to jump down to verse 6. Back in Galatians 1. Galatians 1 verse 6. To find the real reason. The heart of the reason why Paul's writing. And we're just going to introduce it this morning because we're going to come back and hit this hard next week. But in Galatians 1.6, Paul says, I marvel. In other words, I, I'm astonished that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. 
He says that there are some who trouble you and who want to pervert the message of the gospel of Christ. And he says you're falling for it. You're actually listening to them. You're turning to a different gospel. And Paul has spent the last months, years of his ministry pouring into these Galatian believers. I mean, it was his first big journey. This is the first time Paul and Barnabas were sent out. This is the first missionary journey. And they spent years pouring into these people. He was the founder of these churches with them from the very beginning. He had worked miracles among them. He had preached powerfully the gospel. He had seen a huge response. He had prayed and, and fasted with these believers, cried with these believers. He had come back through the region just to make sure they were okay, encouraging them, strengthening them. And Paul had been left for dead by the Jews for preaching this gospel to them, escaping several times death on this trip. He had risked everything for these churches. And no sooner does he return from that journey and get back to his home church, no sooner does he get back that he hears they have already abandoned him. And they've abandoned his gospel message. He says later, they've, they've been bewitched by these false teachers who trouble them. God, what discouragement. Can you imagine the discouragement that Paul must have gone through? This is devastating news for him. You know, it is painful when the people that you pour your life into begin to distrust you. Oh man, have you been there? If you've been a minister, you've been there. It is painful when they begin to distrust you, when they begin to question your character, when they begin not to think the best of you, but to think the worst of you every time. Maybe you have been there. Boy, in a life of ministry, sometimes it feels like you stay there with some people. And for Paul, he's, he's writing from this place. This place of deep hurt from these Galatian believers. Pained that they have abandoned him so quickly. I mean, he just got back. But you know, even more than that, and, and much more important to Paul, Paul is devastated that they've not just abandoned him as their teacher, but they've begun to abandon his message. The message of the grace of Christ for salvation. And it is one thing to have our loved ones uh, question us, uh, to abandon us. And, and boy, that, that is painful. Uh, that is painful. But to hear that they have also discounted your message of freedom through Christ alone when they had previously seemed to embrace that message. 
And now they're throwing away everything you said. Forget the gospel. They've turned their backs on the gospel. That's not just painful. That is eternally condemning. And we're going to get into throughout this study and next week a lot more about what exactly these adversaries were teaching that Paul talks about in these opening verses. But just, just know for now that, that Paul's not messing around with this letter. Man, this letter is fierce. This is an in-your-face letter to these Galatians. This is a desperate fight for the gospel and to defend his apostleship. It's likely that, that these teachers were, were coming in right behind Paul. And maybe they were uh, plants from, from the Jews. Maybe they were, they were Jewish believers more than likely. They had embraced Christ, but they were Jews. And they were coming in behind Paul and questioning his authority to preach. Which in turn put questions on his message. And the Galatians, man, they were so fickle. And they were just falling for every ounce of it. So much of the focus of this letter, in fact the first two chapters, focus on Paul defending his authority to preach to them. And he opens up this letter in verse 1 saying this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then he adds, and, and all the brethren who are with me. To make a distinction. He's saying, I'm not the only one preaching this message, first of all. There are brothers with me. However, my authority is not from men. Like these enemies that you're so easily listening to that are teaching you a different gospel. My authority is not from man. My authority comes from Jesus Christ and the Father. That's kind of a mic drop moment there for Paul. Right? And these men, uh, they're just speaking men talk. And they're just sending themselves, going out of their own selfish motives. My message comes from Jesus, Paul says. I've not been taught by men. I've been taught by God. You want to follow these men who have no authority and only heap up followers for themselves out of selfish motives? But my message and my ministry come from God Himself and His Son Jesus. That's what, that's what Paul says. That's not what I'm saying this morning. That's what Paul says this morning. And he'll spend the first two chapters defending that statement, really. And we'll see that as we go along. He is to be trusted because his message is not from men, but from God. And we know that because he is an apostle with a capital A. Now, this is a fundamental truth for us this morning. In the first century church, all they had was the Old Testament Law. As far as written scripture, all they had was the Old Testament, right? The New Testament was not yet written. We're reading the New Testament being written here. They couldn't just turn to Luke and read about Jesus. Luke, Luke's gospel didn't exist, right? Rather, what they relied upon was the apostles' teaching and doctrine. 
We see that in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It was the apostles who God chose to speak His Word through. And it was from them and from their associates that we now have the written New Testament. But it started with 12 men. The 11 remaining disciples of Christ. You know, Judas was gone. And then Matthias, who replaced Judas. And we see that in the book of Acts. And to be an apostle, you had to be specifically commissioned for that work by the risen Jesus. Which means that you would have had to see the risen Jesus. And now there may have been little a apostles sent by the churches for a mission for the gospel, certainly. We still, in that sense, send people out today, missionaries. They're sent ones. That's what the apostle, apostle means, a sent one. We do that today. But those are little a apostles, not big a apostles. These men were different. These men were set apart by God, by Jesus Christ himself, as those through which he spoke his word. And eventually called to write, this New Testament that we have in our hands today. And God testified to their ministries through signs and wonders. He worked miracles through these men. So that's the original 12, but Paul's ministry is a little bit different, isn't it? How is he an apostle? That's, that's different. He did not walk with Jesus while Jesus walked on this earth. He wasn't there originally. And Luke records for us, Paul, also known as Saul, Saul's commissioning by the risen Christ in Acts chapter 9. Remember, he is on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And the risen Jesus appears to him. He says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And then Jesus calls him, to be an apostle right there. He saw the risen Christ. The risen Christ commissioned him specifically for this ministry. And we'll be talking about this more in the coming weeks as Paul defends his apostleship. But he wants to set the record straight from the first verse in Galatians. I'm not speaking a message from man, but from the risen Jesus. And you would do well to listen and obey. I don't listen to these men who've been sent by men. I've been sent by Jesus Himself and attested to by signs and wonders and the other apostles. And it's so important that we see a distinction in those apostles with a capital A. Those apostles that that were foundational for the church. They were specifically called to their work by the risen Christ. And He testified to their authority by many signs and wonders, proving that He was speaking through those men. And He did the same with Paul in Galatia. And God chose these men to speak through them the doctrine of the church, written down in the New Testament. And it's one consistent message throughout their letters. The Gospel of Christ. And we don't see any kind of succession to their ministry. So after one dies, that's it. We don't see succession for the apostles. Rather, the church recognized 
very early on their special authority, these apostles' special authority to speak God's Word. And to contradict an apostle or their writings in the New Testament was and is today to contradict God Himself. Which is what these adversaries in Galatia were doing. They were accepting the gospel of Jesus for salvation. We'll accept that. And they're coming to Christ for salvation. But then they were adding to it other requirements. Yes, yes, of course, you need to receive Jesus. But also, you need to be circumcised. That's what they were saying. Uh, you need to receive Jesus, yes, but, but, but also you, you need to live like a Jew. You need to still keep the Jewish law. And again, that's going to be developed further throughout this study as we look at their message and their motivation. But they were teaching a Jesus plus theology. A theology not so foreign to us today as we're, we're going to talk about next week. And so they were teaching a Jesus theology, but not just Jesus alone. Jesus plus other things. And that, my friends, is a theology that will not save. And that's why Paul is so desperately writing this letter to the Galatians. And so that brings us to our final point this morning. The aim and the attitude. And as I said previously, Paul is on fire writing them this message. He is strongly defending himself as an apostle, strongly defending the gospel message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He doesn't have time for pleasantries and small talk, and we don't see that in Galatians. See, in other letters of Paul, uh, he wrote 13 in the New Testament, right? 13 letters. And in other letters, we see Paul begin with thanksgiving. Oh, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, he says to one church, right? And he says that to, to uh, several churches, actually. I thank God for you as a church. Thank you for, for, for your faithfulness. Thank you for these things that you're doing well. Thank you for your work in the gospel. But with Galatians, notice something. There's none of that. There's no commendation for these churches. He jumps right in. Skipping the positive reinforcement. Skipping the building us up part. Uh, skipping the thanksgiving. He has no time for that in this letter. It's like if someone is standing on top of a 10-story building and they're about to trip over something and fall. Guys, we don't have time to be like, Hey, hey how you doing? How's the family? I'm so thankful for you. There's no time for that, right? There's only time for an urgent, brief message. Hey, watch out! Watch your step, you're going to die! That's Galatians. And this is a crucial moment in the beginning of the church. These are some of the first churches planted. And it's imperative. That the message of the gospel, the pure message of the gospel, is not infiltrated with filth. And that's what was happening. There's no time to waste. And the urgency of the message needs to come across clearly. And boy, does it. 
in Galatians. Turn quickly with me uh, to Galatians 6 uh, uh, and, and verse 11. Paul normally, we think, dictated his letters to a scribe. And so Paul didn't write it himself. They're his words, but he's dictating it to a scribe to write rather than actually putting the pen to paper himself. But here, look what he writes. He says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. See, Paul in his fervency, in his urgency, he grabs the pen himself and he writes in large, bold letters. He cannot risk them missing the point here. It's like he put the all caps button on. Right, you, ever, you ever get a, a text in all caps and you're like, why are you so mad? What did, I, what did I do? It's like, hey, how are you? But it's in all caps and you don't know what to think. Right? Well, this is Galatians. He's, I'm writing to you in, in my own hand these big, bold letters because it's that important. He wants to emphasize the grave nature of the message of this book. Zealous to keep the gospel's purity. Oh, that we as a church would be this zealous for the purity of the gospel. Amen. Oh, that's one of our aims in going through this book. One that, that the gospel would, first of all, transform us as individuals. Whether you need to be saved, you're not saved, and you need to be saved, you need to come to Christ this morning. Or whether you just need a reminder, you need a spark about the beauty of the gospel. I pray that we would be transformed through this study. But another aim is that we'd become even more fervent defenders of this precious gospel. First of all, by our lives, with the way we live out there, and secondly, with our mouths. That we would be defenders of this precious, precious gospel. That we dig our heels in. Stubborn to keep this message. Nothing will move us off of this message that we've been entrusted with. Well, that's my prayer for us. That this excitement, just jumping off the pages from Paul, would just penetrate our hearts and come out of us. In a world that has all sorts of Gospels. A world that preaches a million different Jesuses. I pray that we would stand as a beacon, as a defender of the true Gospel that saves. It's the only one, guys, that saves. And that's what Paul wants for these Galatians. To stand in the midst of a false Gospel. And as he opens the book in chapter 1, Paul wants to make sure that the true gospel is evident even in these opening verses. He says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of a generic greeting really for all of Paul's letters, but, but so much is packed into those two words, grace and peace. And we've been gifted grace from God through Jesus Christ. See, even though each of us has a heart that is deceitful, 
a heart that is sinful, a heart that is desperately wicked, we want the things that we want. And we want them more than the things that God wants. Amen? I mean, that's human nature, God. That's what we want. That's what our flesh wants. That's our heart. Yet we've been gifted grace. And that grace comes in the form of the next phrase in verse 4. Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Some of the first words penned in the New Testament. He gave Himself for our sins. Romans 5, 8, while we we're still sinners. Christ died for us. Nothing good in us, nothing in us that we could somehow earn God's favor. Well, you've already blown that. So have I. Guys, we've blown it. You cannot earn God's favor this morning. Thanks for coming to church this morning, but you're not earning a thing. If we've committed even one sin, we're to be eternally separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to change that. But we've been given grace. We've been given grace. Amen? Freely. Like here it is. Just take it. Just take the grace. And it comes in, in Jesus Christ who, who gave Himself for our sins. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. This is substitutionary atonement. And it's the heart of the Gospel. If you don't understand that, you don't really understand the Gospel. The substitution that took place. Christ became our substitute. We were condemned sinners in front of the infinitely holy God with no way to earn His favor, destined for God's wrath against us because He is righteous and just and He must punish sin. And yet Jesus stepped in according to the Father's plan. He stepped in and He took our punishment upon Himself. He gave Himself for us. And this is the simple, pure message of the Gospel from Genesis to Revelation. Even as early as Genesis 3, God painted this picture of substitution when He killed an animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Even in the first few chapters there. He wanted to paint this picture of a blood sacrifice that must atone for sin. And that scarlet thread runs throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament consistently and beautifully. He gave Himself for our sins. As we approach the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, I want you to let those words sink in. Christ gave Himself for us. Fill in your name 
that Christ gave Himself for Josh. Christ gave Himself for Stephen, for Paula, for whoever you are. Christ gave Himself for you. Because your sin was filthy and it separated you from God. And it had to be taken out of the way. And He's the only one who could take it. And so He gave Himself. And because He did that, and only because He did that, we now can have peace with God. All we did was earn judgment, but God in His grace by His Son's substitutionary sacrifice forgave us our sin for those who are in Christ. And then in verse 4, He tells us why He did that. And this is the crux of the matter in Galatians and the title of our study. He did it so that He might deliver us. Deliver us from this present evil age. He did it to rescue us. To set us free. Freedom in Christ and only in Christ. First of all, He rescued us from the penalty of sin and death. If we are in our sins and die, we will spend eternally, or eternity apart from God. But through His sacrifice, our sins are washed away. And we are given His perfect life. Just imputed to us. God no longer sees your sin. He sees His Son. If you're in Jesus. Totally forgiven and welcomed into the Father's arms for eternity. And nothing, listen to me, nothing can ever change that if you're in Christ. There's no earning on top of that. That's it. And you cannot earn more favor with God or get less favor with God. If you were in Christ this morning, you have all the favor you're ever going to need. And it's complete favor. And it's perfect favor. Amen? Now, if that encourage you this morning, some of you need to hear that because you're living a life of guilt and shame and you're in Christ. Come out of that. Understand who you are in Jesus. The earning is over. It never really began. It's all about Him. And His sacrifice. He earned it for us. But it's not just the penalty of sin. It's, he's also rescued us from the power of sin. And we feel that power of sin in this world, do we not? But Satan is the God of this age. And Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's infiltrated injustice and deceit and temptation and wickedness into every aspect of this world system. This evil age. And you know what? We hardly even realized he was doing it because he's so good at it. He's a master deceiver. But you know what else he is? He's a defeated foe. Amen? I feel like I should get an amen there. He, he's, he's a master deceiver, but he's a defeated foe. 
See, in Christ, we don't have to be controlled by temptation any longer. We don't have to be controlled by our flesh any longer that wants to buck and rebel against Christ and chase after these things that do not bring us hope, that do not bring us life. We don't have to do that. Sometimes we choose to do that, don't we? We don't have to do that any longer. We are dead to sin through Jesus. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Empowering a life of conquering sin and temptation and living in obedience to Christ where true life is found. Can I get an amen there? True life is found in obedience to Christ. You want true joy, you're going to find it there. You're not going to find it in the bottle. You're not going to find it in the relationship unless it's with Jesus. You're not going to find it in the career. Did we not climb up all these mountains in the book of Ecclesiastes and we found them to be wanting, empty? As a believer, you will find it in the truth. The truth shall set you free. See, God, our Creator, He knows what He's doing. He knows how for you to get joy out of your life. That's why His commands are not grievous. They shouldn't be a burden for us. They are the key to, to, to freedom and to life for us as believers. How could we not wrap our arms around this New Testament, around, around His commands, and say, yes, Lord, change me. Yes, I Lord, I want to follow You. Lord, I don't understand the command, but I will follow the command. Not because it's going to save me. You've already done that. But because it's going to bring me life. We don't have to walk around like defeated weaklings. We have power over sin. And then thirdly, one day Jesus is going to rescue us, not just from the punishment and the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin. And in eternity, there will be no sin. I don't know how God's going to do that in me. And I'm just not going to sin anymore. I have no idea how He's going to pull it off, but He's going to pull it off. And there will be no more sin in that forever kingdom with Him. Praise the Lord. No more flesh. No more flesh that wants, that wants to do what the flesh wants to do. Right, it'll be gone. And the very presence of sin will be gone. And boy, we look forward to that day. But in this day, we don't just walk around like we're defeated. And like Satan just has all the power over us. I just, I just keep giving in. Please. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Because that's what you are in Jesus. Amen? And maybe I'm preaching the whole book at this point. I don't know. But I've got myself on a roll. So you may hear this again. You will hear this again. You'll hear this a lot again in chapters 5 and 6. That's what it's all about. The practical. What do we do with this? 
How then will we live knowing this gospel? The world says that freedom is found in having absolutely no pushback to anything you believe and want to do, right? The world says true freedom is when nobody tells you what to do. Nobody ever tries to instruct you, correct you, rebuke you. You do you. That's where freedom is found. The Bible says that pursuit is totally empty and you will destroy yourself chasing that. That leads to empty places. Christ says that freedom is found in obedience to His Word because it is the truth that sets us free. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. I'm going to try to bring this to a close. We have freedom in Christ this morning. We're going to see that throughout this book in several different ways. I hope it's going to be eye-opening to the ways in which the gospel, the pure gospel, brings us freedom. I look forward to this study greatly. And I pray that, that through this study we'd be reminded once again of this gospel. And that we'd be sparked once again with the joy of our salvation. If that's missing in you this morning, I pray that this would spark it. I pray that we'd be encouraged to stand like we've never stood before. Encouraged to go out of this place with power and not defeat. And to proclaim Him in the midst of a world who wants to choke out the Gospel's impact. I hope you feel that. And I hope you're ready to fight. Like Paul fought. Man, left for dead. Left for dead. Ah, let me just dust this off. I've got some preaching to do. He knew every city he would go in, he would be killed if it weren't for the grace of God protecting him. And we may not experience in this country in the same way at this hour. Although there may come an hour when we will. But I'm sure you feel it on that campus, don't you guys? Oh, the gospel, uh, Jesus, that's, what is that? That's not important. Oh, it's of utmost importance. It's, it's the only thing of importance. I'm sure you feel it in the workplace. I'm sure if you've turned on the TV recently, you feel it. And the persecution is there. They hate us, guys. And we can't expect anything else. The world's going to be the world. But we cannot cower in defeat. No, we, we must go. We must go with this message that Christ gave Himself for our sins. The pure, simple, saving gospel. Paul's final words here in verse 5. Our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He just overflows. He just overflows in this introduction with praise. 
thinking about that gospel. Boy, I pray that we'd be a church that is this zealous for God's glory. I pray that as an individual, you would be the one who walks into your work week or your school week or whatever, just determine that God would get the glory out of you. Above your own thoughts. Above your own desires. Above your own purposes. Above these temptations. Let this be our aim. The glory of Christ. Amen? Guys, we've got to fight. We've got to fight for this truth. Like Paul's fighting in Galatians. It's going to become even more evident as we go along here. But we're not fighting alone. We're not fighting alone. We have the power of the Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you if you know Him this morning. So fight from that power. As we close, we want to move into a time of reflection. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and, and close, close your eyes. and Just a reflection on the precious cross. He has given Himself for you. And we have nothing in ourselves to boast in. It's only Jesus who gives freedom. And if you don't know Him this morning, I want to ask. I want to ask you this morning. Why not? Will you come to Him this morning? Well, how do I come to Him? Well, you come to Him through repentance of sin. That sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Guess what? You're never going to overcome it with your good works. But here's the good news. It can be taken out of the way. Because Jesus has paid for it. On the cross, He took your place. So that's the first step is, Lord, I, I repent of my sin. I don't want anything to do with that sin. Please forgive me. I'm turning from it. And then secondly, Lord, I'm turning to you. Lord, you are Lord of my life. And there is none other. From this moment, I will worship. I will follow you. The Bible says if you, if you do that this morning, and if you believe that, that God has raised Him from the dead, truly, physically, bodily, then you shall be saved. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. I don't care what you did last week. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ So walk in that grace this morning. If you need to do that, if you need to come to Him this morning for the first time, then do it right now in these moments. It's repentance of sin and trusting in Him as Lord and Savior. You can say that in a variety of ways. There's no magic prayer here. But it must come from a humble heart, a repentant heart. And if you do that, I want you to come tell me about it. 
Even in these moments when we do communion in a moment, I want you to come tell me about it. Tell someone about it. And you've got to proclaim this. You've been set free from sin for eternity. And you walk in new light. And for those who who already know Him this morning, as they play through this next song, we're going to spend some time, however much time you need, of reflection on the cross. Maybe a time of repentance for you. Maybe you've been walking, controlled by sin. And you need to come back this morning and repent. We'll do that. And then when you're ready, go back to the table and and grab the elements and we'll take it together in just a few moments. But I pray that we'd reflect on those words. He gave Himself for us. Jesus has set us free. Let this also be a time of celebration. The marvelous gospel that has set us free from sin. I pray that you're walking in that freedom this morning. You are good enough this morning because he is perfect and has imputed his life to your account. That's what makes you good enough. Not in yourself, but in Christ. And guess what? Nothing could ever change it. There's nothing left here to earn today. So let's go out of here boasting about who He is, proclaiming His gospel. I'm going to give you a few moments to reflect. Again, when you're ready, make your way back to the table, and then I'll come back in a few moments and we will uh, take the elements together.